In less than two minutes, you can contact your elected representatives and make a huge difference for a cause you care about. And that's the whole ethos of ResistBot, a free and easy-to-use service that you can use from your phone that connects constituents with their elected officials via text message. Since its inception four years ago, ResistBot has helped millions of Americans send millions of letters to federal, state, and local officials. They've helped more than 1.1 million people vote, and they continue to make outreach easier for communities. In short, ResistBot is making democracy easy. This is Sounds Good. I'm Brandon Harvey. My guest today is Jason Petorti, co-founder of ResistBot. With so many important issues in the world, ranging from climate change to gun control, it is vital that Americans get their voices heard by the people who shape policy in this country. And frankly, they shape policy for so much of the world. Jason designed ResistBot to make civic engagement easy by allowing constituents to just turn their thoughts into messages that you can send to your elected officials straight from your phone. Why does this matter? Because talking to an elected official can feel intimidating, especially if you've got a lot to say and don't know how to say it. But my hope is that with this episode, with this conversation with Jason, you'll leave feeling empowered to make your voice heard and and maybe even empowered on how to make it into a regular practice. In this episode, Jason and I talk about how ResistBot got their start, why a collective voice is so effective in instigating change, and why our politicians really do care about what we have to say, especially when we're loud about it. This conversation felt long overdue. I've been advocating for ResistBot for years. You've probably seen it recommended on our Instagram as a great tool to contact your elected officials about you know, all of the topics that we cover. And so without any further ado, let's just jump straight into my conversation with Jason Petorti. Now, ResistBot has become like a total staple in my life. I'm a little bit of a nerd about it. Uh, And I know that for so many people listening who pay a lot of attention to politics, it's become a really, really helpful resource for them as well. You co-founded ResistBot back in early 2017. I'd love to start off by asking you to tell me about the moment that you knew that there was something missing in the advocacy space. And you, like instead of somebody else being the one to do something about it, you decided you needed to be somebody who did something about it. Yeah. So it's funny. I mean, the reason why ResistBot exists is because um, I had co-founded a very similar company back in 2010. Um, during the Obama administration called Votizen, we did a lot of similar stuff, allowed people, uh, b- basically we were figured out how to connect people's Twitter accounts to like their officials. So people could used to be able to tweet to gov, which is a precursor brand to Votizen, but people could tweet to gov and, you know, like add their zip code and be able to send like tweets. And, and <laughs> this company actually printed those out and, and delivered them, hand-delivered them into Congress. Incredible. Yeah, we figured out a way to connect sort of online advocacy to offline real advocacy because, you know, we, we noticed, um, as people are still noticing, that a lot of the online stuff, like people are talking online and they're they're shouting and complaining about stuff, but, but that doesn't always get delivered into the people that, um, you know, are actually taking the votes in Congress for us. So... 
my first experience in the civic engagement space was creating um, this company called Vodizen. And, um, you know, it was, it was venture funded, which uh, taught me some lessons, you know, ne- namely never to do it again. But, you know, we had some money, you know, we had to be able to prove out a business model. And it was just really hard to do in kind of the amount of time that we had. So it had to be shut down, merged into something else, um, you know, causes brigade. That's another long story. But fast forward to 2017, and that was it. Like we, I, we wanted this thing called, you know, we wanted a a Vodazin like experience to be able to um, deliver to people who were um, complaining about not being able to reach their members of Congress. So setting the table back in in um, you know after the election in 2016 and into early 2017. Lots of activism all over the place, uh, indivisible chapters, uh, women's march. Uh, people were really scared. People were calling Congress, and it was a level of civic engagement that had spiked significantly from the Obama years. There's only so many phone lines that will go into any congressional office, so most of the people are getting busy signals, voicemails, etc. Yeah. So, with that being the reality, um, yeah, I was just dying to like create something that would um, that was would serve as sort of a pressure release. Uh, from all that activity and and get it delivered so so that's where resistbot came from where we just built a system where uh, you could just text and then it would print out on their fax machines in congress i remember finding out about resistbot probably really early on and just loving that visual of i can send a text message and it will literally print out a piece of paper you know because that's how i imagine a fax machine working print out a piece of paper with my note on it and you can't like you can't ignore that piece of paper that's showing up in an office uh you know they've got to either recycle it or or put it on somebody's desk uh and at the least it's making some noise and just thinking what a great way to channel my frustration you know if i'm going to sit down on my phone and i'm going to tweet out something you know, frustrated about at the time I was living in Tennessee and I, and I did not feel like my senators were representing me well. And so I was like, well, I could sit down and tweet or I could just hop over to this text message and I can send this thing and it's got a, a bigger chance of having an impact. And I know, I know in those early days it was, it was faxes, text to fax. How has ResistBot evolved since then? It's been four years? I don't know how to do math. What has changed in the service? What has changed in in how you're reaching elected officials? So how it evolved over time, you know, obviously we had to stop the faxing for the most part um, around September, October of 2017, just because it, it had gotten to such a point where they were just unplugging them. Um, because you're right, they did have to take all, they were, um, sometimes they were coming in digitally. So they were they would come in sort of as OCR, like a lot of the fax machines in, in the actual uh, chambers of Congress were coming in digitally. So they were coming in as, as uh, digital artifacts that had to be OCR'd and processed. And we often got, you know, uh, feedback from congressional offices to like, okay, put the address here so we can, you know, optically like render it and put the text over here. And that would be easier for us, <laughs> which was kind of ridiculous because of course we could just send it to them digitally. <laughs> it was going from... <laughs> It was going from digital to to like a fax, like back into digital, and then of course you the same problem that existed with phone lines existed with fax lines, in which we could only deliver so many at a given time into into the congressional offices. So we had to branch out into local offices, district offices, um, like in state. Yes, we've evolved like way beyond fax. Like at this point, when we launched, it was a text to fax and only in Congress, and now you can. Um, 
you know, you can text and we deliver through a variety of means, whether it's web forms, whether it's fax, postal mail, whatever it is, uh, we, we tend to pick the fastest, cheapest method and we kind of go down the, the roll from there. But the end, the end user doesn't have to think about it. They just say, yeah. hey, I want to I deliver this letter to all my state reps. And then the system figures out, you know, maybe, maybe the governor doesn't have an email and has a fax. So we'll fax the governor and then we'll email the two representatives. So we handle all the delivery and whatever means that they can accept it. And it is in a way that they are used to processing it. So unlike, you know, Facebook, Twitter, social media, these are their official published means of taking messages from constituents. So we're not forcing the offices to sort of look at something new. We're just making it um, easier for the user and getting it into the ways that they process. And I think the biggest evolution of the bot over time is that we continue to create tools for the individual organizer to be able to create these, these campaigns, these movements. We didn't have campaigns back when we launched, you know, along with a lot of other things. You know, people had to sort of write everything out themselves. Often that was a, a barrier. You know, Congress says that, hey, you should always write your own words and you should always kind of tell a personal story and do all this other stuff. But, you know, the problem with that is that it takes a lot of time. It's odd that all, you know, a lot of the good government folks want end users to kind of do things that take a lot of time. And a lot of people don't have time. A lot of people can't call during business hours. You know, there's nurses that work the, you know, work the night shift and sleep during the day. And there's just a lot of people that, you know, where it's not fair to demand lots of time spent in order to have their voices heard. You know, meanwhile, special interest groups, rich folks can just, you know, pay a lot of money and have an incredibly outsized amount of influence on their, on their elected officials. So it's just, it's just not fair. Um, you know, forcing methods that take lots of time you know, tends to produce uh, sort of incoming lobbying that speaks in an upper class accent. Um, so, you know, we wanted to create things that people could participate with, you know, you know, as little time as possible, but delivered in an effective way. So that's where we ended up creating like our, our existing or, you know, our relatively new campaign and petition system where we've made it so individual organizers can create these large movements, get people to sign on. And then it's, it's delivered. And, you know, that was, uh, that was like the, the USPS effort was actually created by just, just some woman in Tennessee, um, just created this petition and it ended up ballooning into 1.7 million signers. Wow. And it just shows you one person can make a difference. It just, it just went viral. People were sharing it all over the place and it just really took off. So we've, we've focused ourselves, um, in 2021 and beyond on we, we're just laser focused on creating tools, very inexpensive and easy tools for the individual organizer, individual community organizer, individual activist. Like if they want to change something, here's all the tools, you know, you can create this, you can create this petition, you can create a vote drive, you can turn out votes for uh, a candidate that you care about in your, in your district. Um, you can generate letters at any level of government, we have mayor, we have state legislature, and on up. And um, we're just, you know, continuing to make that tool set kind of as powerful as possible and as inexpensive as possible. So, um, you know, people that, uh, you know, people that are are underrepresented, un- underrepresented, and uh, you know, don't have all the power of someone with, you know, tons of money to, you know, buy politicians can be heard. 
the thing that's blowing up the platform right now is this Lion 3 pipeline issue. And it's mainly mainly pushed by indigenous people. And, um, you know, talk about people that don't have a voice in our government. It's, it's, it's upsetting kind of how little representation they have and seeing them use ResistBot and, you know, blow this thing up and get a lot of attention and get a lot of letters delivered into Congress. Um, you know, it really, uh, it makes us proud and, and it makes us uh, believe that we're headed in the right direction. One thing that I'm hearing really clearly through what you're saying is that you have a very clear mission and vision for the organization. And that's what's allowed you to pivot so much uh, while also staying true to your mission. Because, you know, from the outside perspective, you know, the original sales pitch for ResistBot, in my mind, truly was, you know, use this text to fax your member of Congress. But that wasn't the mission. The mission was help everyday people reach their members of Congress and actually create change or reach their elected officials and actually create change. And because you were able to, you know, roll with the punches when, you know, one piece of technology didn't work or one mode of delivery wasn't effective or whatever and and pivot things, you were still able to stay true to that. And it sounds like you've been able to expand to doing all kinds of, you know, new things that serve that that purpose. That's going far beyond just contacting your elected officials, but also you know, signing petitions, submitting letters to local newspapers, signing up new voters to vote, finding town halls, helping people run for office, uh, which I guess maybe I'll kind of jump in with another question and say, among all of those different things that you offer ResistBot users, how would you deem what is most effective in creating change? Or is it kind of all of the above? Yeah, um, and that's exactly right. We want to create our DNA is, you know, allowing people to be heard in an easy way that was most accessible. You know, ResistBot could have been an app, right? But, you know, people sort of have stopped downloading apps and they're kind of hard to figure out and they're not universal. And there's a whole lot of things that aren't accessible, like even the congressional web pages aren't particularly accessible uh, mm. for people that have special needs. I mean, you know, there's there's sort of critics out there that said within three weeks of launch that we were building technology that people didn't need. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, apparently that's not true, right? Yes, there have been ways where people can contact Congress, but there's been a variety of, of obstacles in their way. And I, I just don't think that these folks have been listening to those people. And we have. So yes, the mission is very much like make it as easy as possible to make, you know, that person as powerful as possible. Um, we want, you know, kind of minimum input in and maximum output out in terms of power. And yeah, for us, it's a, it's a, it's a ladder of engagement. Certainly like, you know, someone that's signing a petition today might be someone that's going to run for office tomorrow. Like people just generally aren't, um, I think a lot of us take civic education for granted. Um, and even, you know, I've learned a lot about, you know, a lot about the different ways one can civically engage while building all the features of ResistBot. But yeah, you're correct. Like you could sign, you sign a petition one day and then maybe you poke around and, and, you know, look at the other features and say, oh, wow, look, like maybe there's a, you know, a vacant office for school board or county council. Maybe I want to, maybe I want to run for that. Why not me? And you won't get everybody to do that. But if you get a few people to do that out of the millions of people that would sign a petition, 
uh, I think that's uh, that's very much a net positive. Those are people that would have never considered doing so in the first place, but they've engaged, and we've taught them a little bit about kind of the the ways to civically engage in their community. And you know, for us, um, that's a big one. I mean, getting someone from signing a petition to you know considering maybe they could run for office and actually you know be a public servant, um, you know, that's that's a big one. So there's. Yeah, it's hard to say like kind of what's one, you know, what's more effective than another thing. Um, and I think it, it varies based on kind of the issue. It varies based on the geography. The big thing for us is I think similar to your mission is we get people in, they believe, they sign something, they become part of a big movement. And then whether that movement succeeds or fails, we want them to, you know, continue to be involved, continue to have their voices heard because the fact is, if those people aren't speaking out, you know, the others will do it for them. The money interest will do it for them. The lobbyists that are able to be paid by big corporations that can walk in and, you know, have their meetings whenever they want, that's going to be the voice that the, uh, you know, the official remembers, you know, not, you know, not yours. So as like non big moneyed special interests, we have to be the ones that are always speaking out, not be apathetic and, you know, be out there doing the work. You know, otherwise, just other people are going to speak for us and they're going to sort of do what they want. We're going to take a quick break. And when we're back, Jason is sharing if and when politicians pay attention to the concerns of their constituents over lobbyists and other third parties. You don't want to miss this. We'll be right back. Sounds Good is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, let me tell you, I wanted to make sure that we got to have BetterHelp back as a sponsor on Sounds Good because I think it's honestly a really helpful resource right now. It has been a hard last few months, and I feel like the last few weeks have especially felt challenging. I know personally, I feel a little bit of eco-anxiety around some recent news around the environment. Uh, I'm feeling overwhelmed by the Delta variant and the ways that that is affecting my life in the lives of so many people that I love. And, you know, on top of that, I think that there's more injustices that we pay attention to and notice every day. And it's beginning to take a toll on us. Plus, I think that maybe there's a sense of burnout that we're all experiencing under the surface, maybe even without even quite realizing it yet. But it's just been a challenging last year and a half. And I think that we're all aware that COVID isn't going away tomorrow. And It's really important to be able to unpack all of this and process this and our interpersonal struggles with a licensed professional therapist. And BetterHelp is a fantastic solution for this. And I know this because BetterHelp has been a really fantastic solution for me. BetterHelp makes it really easy to get matched with your own licensed professional therapist. Plus, it's affordable. Financial aid is available. And it's great because you can do it remotely in whatever way works best for you. Maybe you want to do therapy via video from your guest bedroom. Maybe you want to go on a walk like I do and and talk with your therapist on the phone. Uh, Maybe you want to just use the texting services to be able to check in with a therapist when you have questions or you need to process things. You've got a lot of options available to you and it's really helpful. You can get started today by just going online and answering a few questions about yourself and what kind of therapist you're looking for. 
You'll be matched with your perfect BetterHelp counselor, and you'll be ready to start in under 48 hours. And one thing that's really nice is if at any point you need to change your therapist, if you find that your therapist isn't a perfect fit, or you just are looking for a therapist with maybe a different level of expertise because you're looking to to process something new or work through something different. BetterHelp makes it easy to switch your therapist at any point. It's just a setting in the app. You can go ahead and do it. And even if you don't do it, it's just nice to know that you have that option. You're not locked in to anybody in particular. BetterHelp is offering a special offer for Sounds Good listeners where you can get 10% off your first month when you take the quiz to get started at betterhelp.com slash good. Using that link helps support this podcast and gets you access to that discount code and an amazing therapist in under 48 hours. One more time, that's betterhelp.com slash good, betterhelp.com slash good. Take care of yourself. Sounds Good is sponsored by Breaking Glass. Breaking Glass is the podcast that hosts intimate conversations about women around the world. Their guests are bending systems and breaking rules to rewrite the narrative for women. And let me tell you, I'm so proud to have Breaking Glass as a sponsor because I just personally love this podcast and I know that listeners will too. I just want to kind of like give you an overview of a few recent episodes to give you a feel for the show so that you know what you've got waiting for you on the other side. One of the recent episodes is with Orna Dornith, who speaks to the complex journey of untangling womanhood from motherhood. And she talks about how there's kind of some taboos around this. And it's such an enlightening and helpful episode. Another episode that I loved recently was with Esther Imani, whose family emigrated from Mashhad, Iran to New York City before she was born. And she speaks to straddling these two conflicting cultures and also just how she's defying the expectations that both cultures can have on women. And lastly, one more episode that I want to highlight is a recent episode with Nazreen Saik, who was born in a rural village in Nepal to a family struggling to survive. And she ended up having to work in a sweatshop as a young child. And I, I know that listeners to this podcast I paid a lot of attention to modern day slavery and Nazreen speaks to her personal experiences in that world of modern day slavery and how she escaped child labor. And it's such an important episode and I've never really heard anything like this outside of Breaking Glass. And that's kind of how I feel with every episode. So if you love Sounds Good, you are going to love Breaking Glass. You can learn more about Breaking Glass by visiting breakingglasspodcast.com slash good. And you can search for Breaking Glass wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. One more time, that's Breaking Glass Podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can learn more at breakingglasspodcast.com slash good. One of the biggest questions that I get when I talk publicly about advocacy work is people are asking, do politicians actually pay attention to the letters and emails they get? Like, do they care? Do they ever change their opinions? Uh, and I'm curious, you've overseen, you know, millions and millions and millions of people reaching out to their elected officials. Do you think that it actually moves the needle? Yeah, it depends. It obviously depends on the issue. Now, there are certain issues where 
if you break this down, the problem is, is there's a certain amount of issues that are sort of very partisan, polarized issues. And, you know, the far right Republican is probably never going to do the thing that a bunch of, you know, liberal Democrats are going to, you know, push them on, right? They're just not movable on that because in their mind, you know, they're, they're kept in power by that base of, of far right folks. And then that gets into gerrymandering and sort of drawing your own districts. And it's kind of depressing to, you know, there's, there's a degree of inflexibility that just comes from kind of the political environment and the structure that we find ourselves in. Now, ideally, you know, our political districts are drawn in a fair way and sort of everyone's represented equally or community, rather community is represented equally. We want everybody to be heard far left, far right, middle. We just want their interests to be heard and we want good government folks. We just want the, um, the elected officials to act in a way that sort of helps the most people. But certainly there's, there's some issues that, that are just harder than others. The thing that we found that are the issues that we found most popular in ResistBot and have been most successful in ResistBot are ones that just affect daily life. We got our start, you know, Trump was attacking a lot of different kinds of rights. And I think that people rising up, making a lot of noise about them, I think that helped quite a bit. And the one in particular that stands out is healthcare. Um, you know, the Republicans took over every branch of government in 2017. And, you know, Trump came in with a promise to his base that we are going to repeal Obamacare. Um, guess what? That did not happen. And I think that it didn't happen because a lot of people that had a lot to lose stood up, they protested, um, they certainly, you know, they wrote and called Congress, you know, people confronted, you know, somebody confronted Jeff Flake in an elevator. I mean, it was kind of everything was kind of being thrown at Congress at the same time. And you just have a few Republicans that just wouldn't, wouldn't pull the trigger. Of course, you know, most, most famously John McCain with the, the late night thumbs down. The USPS issue was kind of a similar one where people were getting engaged in that that were not political. I mean, there's your kind of your kind of standard issue political issues that people that are paying attention are always involved in, but like this was the mail. Just getting mail <laughs> on time and having it work, it, it was not a political thing um, until that point. <laughs> and now you had this problem where you know, there was first the pandemic issues related to it, where it was like, okay, like, let's kind of put some more funding in and kind of help the post office deliver during the pandemic. And then it was outright sabotage. People depend on the mail, small businesses uh, depend on it to just function and earn a living. Uh, people get prescriptions through the mail, people get checks, social security checks, VA checks, all kinds of things depend on the mail that are not kind of partisan left right issues. And we saw just a groundswell of people, you know, telling their friends and whatever to, you know, support the post office, text resist bot, you know, make it known this is important. And it certainly drove the needle. So, yeah, certainly what I've learned is um, these kind of, I don't know if you want to call them kitchen table issues, but, um, you know, if politics are working really well, it's kind of like the air conditioning. You don't really notice it. Like if it's comfortable in your house, um, you're not really thinking that it's too hot or too cold. But if something breaks, then you're going to notice it. Um, you know, something breaks that you rely on your daily life. All of a sudden, you're an activist, you're an organizer. You know, you're going to get political because it's about kind of fixing and adjusting public policy to, you know, help you. And you know, the level of severity, you know, kind of depends on you know how many people will get involved. So 
I think that makes total sense to me. And, and I think what I'm hearing to some degree is, you know, maybe the highly partisan kind of big issues like, you know, for example, abortion aren't going to get solved with, you know, X amount of letters to your congressional office. But the things that kind of affect all of us or are maybe a little bit less like clearly partisan have some real power to to move the needle because ultimately elected officials just want to please the people who are voting for them. And, you know, if it doesn't seem too partisan, then then they can just make that change and it's not going to hurt them too bad. Another thing that I think I've found to be really helpful is just paying attention to my elected officials and, and figuring out who they are. When I was in Tennessee, you know, I had elected officials that I really disagreed with on a number of levels. But by, you know, reading articles that they published, by following their email newsletters, things like that, I was able to figure out where we might have some shared values, even if I didn't like the way that they expressed those values. And I was able to, you know, write letters that kind of spoke a little bit to those shared values and saying like, you know, I think that you could maybe express those values by voting for this thing that you might not be thinking about. And to be honest, found it to be really effective, even ended up, you know, having meetings with my elected officials to, you know, talk about these things. I got all dressed up in a suit and everything. And I think that when you can basically express it in a in a less partisan way, it can end up being a lot more effective than maybe the traditional public talking points. Yeah, I think that's exactly correct. I mean, whether they're, you know, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, I mean, they need votes at the end of the day. And, you know, everyone wins election by sort of starting with their base and kind of working towards the center. You know, an issue that we have very active on the platform right now is fixing Social Security disability insurance. Um, I mean, it's been at a poverty, below poverty level for a long time. And a lot of these folks are getting, you know, 700, you know, between 700 and $800 a month. Um, and they're expected to like live on this and it's, it's heartbreaking. It's terrible. And, you know, for the amount of money that we, that we have, uh, you know, as a nation and what we spend on, you know, all kinds of other stuff, it's a travesty. We've got a lot of dis, you know, kind of, um, disability advocates that are pushing them and, that's not really, I mean, where does that fit, you know, left or right? It doesn't, it's just something that, you know, left and right have been just ignoring this community for 20 years um, and it hasn't been fixed. And so with the, with kind of um, the upcoming budget bills and spending bills, um, they're trying to get these, uh, these fixes put into that bill. And we've got a lot of folks uh, organizing on the platform to make sure that happens. I think that should happen. But yes, those are those are the kind of issues where I think that people can definitely make a difference. But yeah, I mean, if you're if certainly if you're kind of base of like, oh, like, you know, my voice doesn't matter is like something as politically polarizing as as abortion rights um, and gun rights. These are kind of tougher generational battles. But that doesn't mean that engaging on, on some of these other issues doesn't matter. And what I'd like to add is certainly once you get to state and local, um, I think your voice matters so much more. Um, you know, the unfortunate fact is, is that there's 435 members of the house and each of them represent, you know, between 700 and 800,000 people, you know, thanks to a, a law passed in the late twenties, um, capping the size of the house. So it's just, it's just very hard. And that's why you have intermediaries like unions and special interest groups and lobbyists and all this kind of stuff is because it's very hard to 
you know, it's hard to figure out what everybody wants, but um, we had a, a bunch of young, young people. I think they were college kids. They created a campaign on ResistBot um, just after the, uh, the George Floyd events in Minneapolis. And they were able to get a longstanding um, fix to, uh, to New York state law about uh, police transparency. Um, they were able to get that passed through uh, right at that time. They were able to use timing and, um, and just they were able to get a lot of attention on it. And they got a, you know, a couple of state senators on board and they just kept sharing it. And that was, that was kind of a start to finish. And uh, I think it was less than a week. So certainly like doing things at the state level, you know, I think they have a higher probability of success. I mean, Washington's kind of a very difficult place, but um, you know, state capitals can be, can be a little bit more forgiving and certainly more so uh, when you get down to the, to the city level. And we added, uh, I think we have something like 800 mayors, or so on the system now we added uh, the ability to get to mayors a few months ago so that's awesome that's a really great reminder that you know it's not just the politics that i'm reading in the new york times or the washington post but it's it's the politics that are happening on a local level they can really affect a lot of people's lives and we have the ability to affect that that's super helpful i guess one question that i that i have is would you describe resistbot as Partisan, nonpartisan, like what are the political leanings of the organization? When we created the platform, I mean, you, you could say that it, it it's kind of biased left, but you know, the fact is that Trump was kind of a unique, uh, a unique individual. And I think, you know, even if you look over the events of the past four years, it's kind of hard to just say that he was just, a, you know, he was just a Republican. Kind of the attacks on people's rights and on the rule of law and democracy were kind of just all across the board. And people on the far right will define, you know, they can define partisan however they want. Of course, they've, you know, they've long said people that don't agree with them are rhinos. They're not really Republicans and blah, blah, blah. But like to them, everything's part, everything that doesn't agree with them explicitly is partisan. So the New York Times is partisan. The Associated Press is partisan. Um, CBS News, partisan. You know, anything that isn't on the far right is partisan. So for us, it's not about like left, right. It's just about um, kind of rule of law and democracy and kind of values of uh, um, just helping people that need it. So, you know, for us, it's, you know, we're not explicitly partisan. We don't work with the, we don't actually work with the DNC. Like if you ask the Democratic Party, like I don't, think we can work with them because we're not technically partisan. We're technically nonpartisan. We're just a 501c4. You know, it's, it's kind of clear as to kind of what party and, you know, what party in Congress sort of believes in democracy and what doesn't. So, I mean, I would say we're, we're pro-democracy, pro-constitution, you know, pro-rule of law and, you know, adhering to the values, uh, um, you know, written in the, you know, the preamble of the, uh, of the Declaration of Independence thinking about the causes that I care about and that I'm passionate about and that listeners are passionate about, you know, I think one thing that's sometimes challenging is how to convey those values into the political arena. You know, if I'm really passionate about better gun safety laws or protecting wildlife or ending the death penalty on a state or federal level, you know, sometimes I'm like, I know that these values are true, but how do I tell my elected official this? Do I just say, I care about this and I hope you do too? Do I research a bill like, and see if there's one coming up and tell them about it? One of your big goals with ResistBot is to kind of re- 
reduce that like anxiety and that decision-making process and just empower people to take the action. But what kind of advice would you give to me and people who feel like me where it's like, okay, well, how do I craft this message? Because I know that the political arena can make a difference here, but I don't really know how yet. I think you you said it best um, a little while ago. First, I mean, there's the obvious of, I mean, if you're going to write just some angry rant full of curse words and, you know, whatever, <laughs> which certainly happens a lot. I mean, we actually had, uh, <laughs> you know, I actually got a call from the FBI one time because we had a user threaten, you know, a member of Congress and we had to, you know, kind of assist because that was not good. I mean, it, you know, not it doesn't, it doesn't usually get to that level, but certainly people will use swear words and curse and whatever. And those things just get thrown out. There's no point. I mean, if you, if you want to complain and, and swear at someone, you know, yeah, go, you know, you can go yell it up off the street, whatever, but writing it to your member of Congress probably isn't going to do anything. You know, I think it's this, the same way you try and convince anyone else, just like you said, you know, find some common values, find some common sense. Um, maybe there's polling data. There's probably some exceptions. I mean, there's probably some politicians that are just absolutely corrupt and owned by just, you know, totally owned by money and interest, and there's nothing you can do. I'm an optimistic person. I think by and large, you know, politicians generally want to stay in power because they think while in power, they can do the most good. So, you know, tell them how they can do the most good. Um, and yeah, find, you know, <laughs> find some humanity in there and, 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 you know, appeal to that. And I think the more important thing is if you're going to create a campaign is to, you know, write out something that's going to convince other voters and get them to sign on and get them to like agree, you know, as for like how to convince people on all sides of the political spectrum, you know, that's, that's kind of, uh, that's certainly not my expertise. You know, a lot of people have written books on that. I mean, Lakoff uh, has written a lot of great books on messaging. Jonathan uh, Chade has written books on messaging um, and how to, you know, how to appeal to liberals and conservatives alike. But uh, that's probably all I can say is, uh, you know, I think, I think you actually said it best early in the show. I found a lot of success with storytelling. And, you mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. for me, you know, meeting with elected officials, I've uh, spent a little bit of time advocating for funding for um, HIV and AIDS treatments on a global scale. So global development funding, PEPFAR funding, things like that. And as a photographer, I had the unique experience of getting to travel all over the world, you know, meeting, you know, like, for example, women who were HIV positive in Rwanda, who because of amazing ARV therapy, they were able to give birth to children who were HIV free. And these women are going to live full, long, happy, healthy lives, and their children are as well. And I, you know, got to tell some of those stories to my elected officials, you know, through letters and sometimes in person. And those stories, you know, it seems like it was really effective. And, and it doesn't have to be a story that you personally have. If you don't have experience with things, it could be like, hey, I read this article. You know, I, I would love for you to consider it. It's things like that that I think, I just think about it from an empathy perspective of this staffer is going to, you know, spend their day sitting in this office reading these things. If you can have the most interesting email that connects with them on a heart level, then maybe in that staff meeting later with your member of Congress, you know, they're going to have a little bit more ability to, to, you know, spend an extra 60 seconds talking about your message than somebody else's. And, and that can really move the needle, it seems like. Yeah, yeah, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think you have to always put yourself in the position of the other person, 
And, you know, if you were kind of reading this message, you know, why write something that's going to put them in a defensive posture? Definitely make, you know, make it appeal to the heart, you know, make an appeal that, hey, this, this affects this number of people. This is really important. This is, you know, for this particular community, this is life or death, which is what the, uh, the SS, you know, the social security insurance uh, issue is. I mean, it's, it's very, uh, it's very important to these folks and they just have to be, you know, a lot of times the staffers just have to be educated, but, you know, certainly, yeah, venting and attacking and whatever doesn't, doesn't usually do the trick. But uh, yeah, those types of personal stories can be very powerful. And certainly, you know, there's plenty of examples where these types of things aren't, you know, aren't partisan. Um, you know, the issue you just mentioned was was a big one for, for George W. Bush. And George W. Bush also read, you know, at this now it's now it's kind of famously read a book on um, on the Spanish flu. And, you know, he immediately directed, you know, folks to kind of get prepared for that. And what are we doing to get ready for this? And, you know, certainly wasn't this isn't, these aren't kind of, kind of left, right things. It's like, it's just, you know, how do we, how do we take care of other people? And um, there's certainly plenty we can talk about, (laughs) you know, about Bush and kind of who he did and didn't care for. But in terms of those two issues, in terms of AIDS and the pandemic, he was, uh, he tried and uh, he was, he was definitely moved by, you know, moved by stories. So it's certainly possible. I'm thinking a lot about just how, you know, we're, halfway through 2021 you know almost two years into this pandemic and it feels like we're still just getting beaten over the head with a lot of bad news of course the bad news has been coming for a long time now and you've gotten to oversee an organization that has been responding to that bad news and and truly creating good news in all parts of the country on a local level and on a national level I wonder if you have some parting words of uh, either encouragement or you know directive to take action for people who feel overwhelmed by you know the injustice in the world and want to do something about it by you know getting involved with their elected officials. Yeah, well, I think I think the entire pod I would I would hope does that, um, but you can definitely, definitely, definitely make a difference just by taking the very simple action of, you know, signing a petition, you know, on the, on the bot. Um, you know, there's people that, you know, for example, the stop line three issue, there are people that are working on this thing day and night, you know, sharing it on Twitter, making TikTok videos, they're pushing it out. And, you know, as those numbers go up, they just get more and more encouraged and it gives them kind of fuel to carry on. So even if you're not going to be the type of person that's going to spend hours on something, just your one, you know, your one signature, your one little bit of your time, two minutes, like doing the most basic thing, that's going to kind of, you know, give fuel, you know, think of it as food, (laughs) you know, for these guys to keep going. And, you know, you're giving, you're giving other folks inspiration as well. But yeah, I think uh, certainly there's, there's areas all over the place. There's injustice everywhere, where if you speak out, you can make a difference. Um, You know, maybe it's not, you know, kind of the biggest, you know, most contested congressional federal issue there is, but you can look in your community, there is a lot of bad things happening everywhere. And, you know, you can speak out about about those things. And if you don't, you know, then it just kind of continues on the way it always has, right? So, you know, I hope that folks can, uh, can see injustice and speak out about it in, you know, any, any number of ways. And uh, I don't think that that doesn't take a lot of time. It just takes a uh, take some courage and yeah some some belief 
and that they can make a difference. That's Jason Petorti, the co-founder of ResistBot. To push for change in the United States, voters need their voices heard. And that's exactly what ResistBot is here to help us do. You can text RESIST to 50409 and send your messages to every level of government. It truly takes less than two minutes to make a difference. And ResistBot is here to help make it easier. At the least, make sure that you just add their number. Again, that's 50409 to your contacts so that you never have to hesitate when you think you've got an idea on something you want to tell your elected officials about. You can also make a monthly donation to ResistBot to help support the work they do and to make the service free for all. This podcast was created by Good 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 at Good Good Good. We help you feel more hopeful and do more good. You can find more good news and ways to make a difference more than ever, truly, in our weekly email newsletter, our beautiful print good newspaper, or online at our beautiful all-new website, goodgoodgood.co. Make sure that you bookmark it, share it with a friend, visit it daily. We are so proud of the new site. Again, that's goodgoodgood.co. This episode was created by Sarah Lee, Megan Burns, and me, Brandon Harvey. It was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios. You can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com. And make sure to hit the follow button wherever you listen to podcasts so that you can get a new episode of Sounds Good delivered straight to your phone each Monday while you sleep. If you have a favorite episode of this show or you found this episode to be helpful, please head on over to Spotify, hit the share button on this episode, and share it to your Instagram stories. It makes it super easy for people to subscribe, to listen, and it's kind of cute. And with that, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and contact your elected officials. And we'll be back next week with more good news and good action. Sound good? <laughs>